So I've been thinking of my own memory. There was this. There once was a girl from the Bluffs who thought she lived at the Ritz. Whoa, whoa, whoa. But hold on a second. Isn't it like the man from Nantucket? Is that what you're trying to? Yeah, but I thought. I, I don't know. Nantucket rhymes. I was okay. going with the Ritz. Look. Oh, wait a minute. Look, we're rolling. All right. Well, then let's roll. Well, I'm Rich. And I'm Mark. And we are two, two guys, guys on, on Block, Block Island. Island. Although with our guests, maybe we should do that a little different. I know. I was right. watching. And we, you even made go. an awkward face, Mark. I love That's how awkward, awkward face. it is. All right, let's Look try at it again. You were like, is this okay? It's All not right. okay. Can we go super cheesy? You ready? Here we go. Here we go. Super cheesy. Hey, I'm Rich. And I'm Mark. And we are two <laughs> guys on Block <laughs> Island. Rock out, dude. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Now that's awesome. <laughs> that's that's how we awesome. Do it. Yeah, but then change it up every week. I don't want that every week. So by like, now, I've already done so that. By now, now, I'm, you now know. I'm strutting but, my stuff. Yeah, but that's like our thing. That's like our sign on thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, but shouldn't the sign-on thing change? I mean, you're not the same two guys on Block Island every day. We'll work you on meet. it. We'll work on it. Man, everyone's a critic. Everyone's oh, so tough. Uh, but you know, I, I mean the best for you, young fellas. Okay. Well, you know, and I've been giving you unsolicited advice for all your lives, even before I met you. So even, why stop now? Even before the podcast actually yeah, starts, it's apparently. True. If, if it's you true. haven't figured yeah. it out yet, listen, we didn't get enough content from this lovely person. So... <laughs> She is back to pick up where we left off. Listen, Hopefully. she says. <laughs> Lisa Starr is here with us. Again? Because, yeah, because there's so much more we didn't get to with Lisa. And I'm so psyched she's back. Thank you for coming back with us. Oh, you're welcome. All you're right. welcome. I come loaded with props. Oh, oh good. God. Yes. And I I mean, I was propped up before I even saw the fur. Uh, I don't want to give away your secrets. No, go Some ahead. people go will ahead. be even Tell more jealous that it. they're not on your show. Wh- well, there's a like a fur lined footrest. Yes. I was so nervous the last time I didn't notice it, but I think it's new. No, no, it, it was, was here. here. I just, you know, that was my bad. I Whoa. should have offered it to you last time. I mean, just for the record, it's faux fur. It's not actual animal fur. We would never. Well, that's right. a good thing because yeah. I'm an animal lover. Also, you'll notice I'm not wearing my Ruth Bader Ginsburg socks. No, but your shoelaces are outstanding. Yeah. And I want to tell you something about the shoes because I told you I'm all propped up. Yeah. Now, yeah. Do you guys do you guys have clothes? That you love so much oh, that I thought you that was the end of the question. That you know, do you guys? <laughs> I do have some clothes. That's like a Stephen Wright joke. Not you right know? now. Do you obviously. guys? Do you guys? Thank you. Um, um, so listen, do you have items of clothing that you love so much that they're so well worn that you know? One time when you wear them is going to be the last time. Oh, like I got a couple Grateful Dead T-shirts, you know, yeah. that are yeah. so tattered they can't even go through the washing machine yes. one more time. The sign on that for me is Patty going, "You're wearing that. You're wearing that." Yeah, that's yeah. oh, I know. Well, it's near you the should end meet of it. my sister. It just yeah. happened today. Um, but um, and I didn't even see her. Um, <laughs> she doesn't even know what you're wearing. She knows okay. it's wrong. All right, take a look at these kicks. I was noticing that. It's not just the shoelaces, which are very new and a little bit overdone, because these sneakers don't even need these jazzy. But look at the bottoms. Oh, we're going to take a picture of that. I mean, do you love these shoes or what? You must love them. So this morning, it was like, God, I'm so boring. What am I going to say to the guys? And then I I was like, well, you should wear something good. That'll jazz you up. And I don't have anything good. And then I saw the purple sneakers. Well, as you know, you're you're a word person. Like, good is a relative term. you know, yeah, it could. 
I think they're pretty good, and they match oh, the sweater. The sneakers are. I love This is not a question about the sneakers. The shoes are over the top. I, and listen about the sweater. I thought of you guys when I put the sweater on because there is nothing wrong with the sweater. And in fact, it was made for me by my mother, Dorothy oh. Silverberg. Oh. And I think about you guys and your moms. Oh, and oh, thank so you. let's hope uh, we were just the spirits about our of our moms yeah. are with us today Always. and that they um, love it best when we're laughing. And and uh, let's just um, be also a little bit thankful they're not here to hear some of the things Mark says because I say a lot of stupid yeah. things. You do. Oh, my mother <laughs> used to. Noticed? My mother used to like spit up into a. Um, she would have a little paper towel. <laughs> she would spit up during my poetry readings. Oh God! And oh. and I would be looking at my sister, who would look very attentive, like like she really wanted to hear the poem, and she'd be going like, "Look at mom." <laughs> I do. I have a picture of her. I did a, a poetry I, reading at Island Bound, and my mother is on the staircase looking away, and you can see she's got the little she did the same thing on the way to my wedding though that we talked about last well, time you know. and um we were in rick batchelder's i told you we were in the big beautiful carriage with the horses those yeah, yeah. gorgeous horses and my mother thought that um he rick but of course me because i'd hired him that it was animal abuse <laughs> so so we had to take the carriage from gail hall there she is again from gail hall's house where and you made- this is good stuff patty and laura did my hair the oh, day yeah. of my wedding so you know i mean i'm known for my hair yeah you know like marianne mcgonagall <laughs> she and i duke it out marianne uh, lighty for best hair um so the, your wife and her sister managed to actually because champ loved long hair they managed to get this thin hair into a french braid for my wedding perfect so we had to get from gail's house which is where turtle and heather live now yeah turtles turtle and heather yeah on the show the whole family oh right? yeah 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 um so um we had to get from there to the hygia and my mother tried to get off at several junctures <laughs> and when we got to the cemetery where you turn right she was like i'm getting out i'll see you there she had enough <laughs> and, and and my sister again is looking at me like i told you not to put her in the carriage <laughs> and my friend christine who's the only sober one in the wedding party is like you gotta chill out. <laughs> These are freaking horses. This is their job. Yeah, they're so loving anyway, this. She would, you got an extra paper towel. Yeah, she, she threatened <laughs> to not read the poem at the wedding, actually. Because of the horses? Yeah, so we uh, were waiting till the last minute. Dot. Like, what is she going to? <laughs> oh, my god! She did. It was a good poem. I'll bring up. Well, I'll bring, we're, I'm glad you, we're, we're both glad you brought up your poetry, because the last time you were on the show, we, we got so involved in just your yeah. life on Block Island and uh, I don't even know, a million other things, that we didn't even get to your career as a poet, which we, we want to get to, but... I think the last time we were talking to you, we kind of ended up uh, at the point where you and Champ had uh, begun to renovate the Hygieia house. Um, yeah, you found the lender's number stuck to your shoe. That's oh, right. Yeah. And you yeah. called them. And they, yeah. yeah. We and, did get that far. That's great. Because yeah. I thought we were still in the quad at UConn. Tell us no. Frisbee around. We went back and forth. <laughs> we, we jumped we visited around. the quad. It was like a Quentin Tarantino, yeah. you know, like Pulp Fiction, where it's like out of sequence. It's like it's a Star Trek. linear timeline. Beam you in and out of yeah. different areas. With a little boomerang involved. Yeah, right? a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> things come back. Yeah. Things. Yep. Yep. So, all right. So, so. Let's get into that process. You you and Champ Star um, 
have uh, have purchased the Hygieia house, which is in a state of tremendous disrepair. Um, it, it it's basically needs a complete gut renovation. I think you said the reason it came available was because the town finally stepped in and told the owner that yes. you know had to. So, so how'd you do it? Yeah, what was it like going into the? What was it? Did you find any cool stuff in there when you first? So uh, much stuff. Like, um, there's there are honest to God, guys. There are so many stories about our experience at the Hygia that are as over the top as the one about me finding the business card on the bottom of my <laughs> Let's shoe. Let's hear some of them. Well, I, I mean, one of the coolest things is that everybody loved that building, right? Yeah, and it was almost impossible to not go in it, like to walk by and not go in it. So the stories that we heard from people who spent the summer in there, like I, I heard from people that spent the summer in there, summers that Champ and I were living in the shack out back. And I'd be like, you came in and out every night? Like, I stay up all night on the lawn. And they would be like, we know, you know? We'd see her lighter. And, um, <laughs> and, we'd, and we'd sneak in the other door, you know? So one of the really cool things for me, and I, you know, I planned, of course, to write several books about it. And hopefully at one point I will. Um, but I wanted to write a series of essays about our experience there, which were so profound in a way that probably this podcast is becoming for you, what you learn and the other sides of people that you see and the tenderness. So um, one of the coolest things for me was hearing stories from people who had a relationship with the building other than us, because people loved it. There's a woman, Linda St. Dennis, Rich, you might remember her. She kept a real low profile. She lived on the island year round, maybe for like 10 years back. She's about my age. So I'm saying late 80s to mid 90s. And um, she's got a daughter, little older than Millie, whose name is Elsa with Stan Ballast. Okay, and, yeah, that's and, where I um, recognize the name. Yep, she, yep. she was actually from my hometown. She grew up right up the street from us on Spicer Hill Road in Ledger. Um, but Linda loved the Hygia, and she would go in and out and in and out, and she she had found things in there that, that like, there was an old safe in there that, of course, everybody broke into. Brian Neville, I know he'll love me bragging about this. Brian Neville gives himself, because the doctor practiced there. So the doctor's medical kit was there, his mortar and pestle. I mean, some of the stuff, it was very Titanic-ish, because some of the stuff was, like, right where it got left. Wow. and That's um, crazy. There's also a lot of stories about the Hygieia that aren't true. Like one story is like they were set up for a final dinner and she walked out and all the plates were still set up at the table. That never happened. But I do not doubt that Brian Neville gets credit for um, emptying the ether bottles that were in the Yeah, the like <laughs> old yeah. vials of Brian's cocaine like, or anything. I remember going in the doctor's office and there was a regret. Regretfully, someone had found the first but at any rate um and that's how so, you and champ completed the renovation is that you found ether. A, a no the ether was ether. missing no, in the absence of ether we had to get to work no you found like a whole box of uh cocaine that you know like because cocaine was uh we uh, didn't find the doctor's cocaine but we did find the doctor's medical kit which okay. was on full display in the lobby and i hope still is that I believe that case of original things stayed with the building. I think that that um, should be the title of your first. I think your first what? memoir should be in the absence of ether. In the, oh, that's Ooh, a great idea. I'm gonna write that down. I think that's a great Look, line. I brought a notebook. I'm such a writer that I brought a lo- notebook. All right, so back to Linda Saint Dennis. Um, so she, she. 
about a year after we bought the place, and she was a friend of mine. You know, she said, Lisa, I have to talk to you about something, and it makes me feel really awkward. And I said, what? And she said, well... I have something that's from the Hygieia. And I was like, well, that's cool. And you you wouldn't remember this. But when we bought the place, I mean, we were we still couldn't believe any of it was happening. Yeah. The bank, the any of it, except that it wanted to happen. We had a yeah. we were a force of nature. I have no idea how we did what we did. We knew all the right people. I mean that you you know that your wife Patty and Laura did, for example, made all the curtains yep. for all the rooms. Stuff that I couldn't do. Bedspreads, balances, yeah. pillow treatments. So it was the right team. But what did you start off with? So you get in you get the loan from the bank, you buy the place. How did you start the renovation? Like what was the first Thing that well, the thing had to be gutted and made safe. It was totally like I wasn't allowed in the building. And I will tell you my, the first poem that I ever wrote about the Hygieia. It's called Hygieia First Poem. And there's, there isn't like a Hygieia second poem or third poem. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote it in 1998. Yet. Yet. What is that? <laughs> Two, 23 years. Wow. Yeah. Where the oh. hell is where the hell is Hygieia's second poem? That's the name of my next book of poems. Um, um, so at any rate, all right. So that's guys... a big story. I don't want to talk about renovating. I okay. want to tell the Linda St. Denis story. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, and I'll tell right this ahead. really fast. Linda tells me that what because all these people took things and they all wanted to tell us, I feel really bad, but and the thing is, most people took them for the right reason. Like a lot of people felt like this place is going to go up in flames one night right, or yeah. some idiot's going to move in here and take all this stuff when you, and when no you one acqu- will ever right. yeah and when you acquired it they suddenly had a name and someone they knew to attach to those things and, and a they, lot of they, people yeah. felt guilty about it because they'd trespassed and they'd stolen so we champ and i ran an ad um this is all champ's idea he's the real generous one out of the two of us um so, <laughs> <laughs> so um so at any rate, Champ and I ran an ad in the Block Island Times for about a year, just saying everybody loves the Hygieia, you know, that's, and it is going to be the people's building. Um, if, you, if anything found their way to you, whether it walked, jumped, right. was gifted to you, we would love to bring it back. The place is going to be a bit of a working museum. Wow. So people returned utensils. We did get the doctor's mortar and pestle back. Minus we got, the ether. We, we got, the, um, <laughs> we got the, um, his letter opener back. But Linda St. Dennis, this was incredible. Um, we bought the place from a woman named May Keneally. So Champ had a great uncle. There were four kids. Yep. There were Rose. That's Champ's grandmother who yep. got the cottage for her dowry. Bella. Be- who became Bella Payne. Bella got the strip right next to the Hygieia that became, that went down to Carol, Cliff, and Kathy, yep. where Carol, and I believe Kara's in now, yep, is, right? Yep, yep. That, so that's another daughter. Then, um, then there was a bad one, Christopher, and he, I think, was always in trouble with the chambermaids. Um, and so he got he got property on the mainland, yeah. and then there was the favorite son. You know, there was always a favorite son, and he got the Hygieia, and his name was Carter Champlin. So he inherited the the Hygieia from his father, who was the doctor. He never married. He had a girlfriend for thirty five years, and they never married. Her name was May Keneally, and she was a working girl from Providence, meaning she worked for a banker. And it was during the Depression, and women barely could get jobs and nobody could get jobs and she was a really really smart cookie who apparently was brilliant 
And this guy, I mean, they were landed aristocracy, you know, like, his, you know, his John Champlin's brother was a U.S. senator, Christopher Elihu Champlin, whose ghost is definitely in the Hygieia. Um, Uncle L. Um, <clears throat> Wait, Uncle what? Uncle, Uncle L. Okay. E.L. So that's why there's a room named Uncle L in the, oh. in the Hygieia. We didn't find out. I didn't find out because no one liked to talk about the ghost stories. Well, how did you know it was Uncle L? That was the ghost because I had the Rhode Island Paranormal Society come in because Champ never wanted them to come in because he doesn't like that stuff. So there were so many stories about abnormal activity in the Hygieia that they always wanted to come in. And Champ was unwilling and thought it would be bad for publicity. And a lot of people are super spooked by it. So whenever they approached us, he was like, no way. A lot of people are attracted to that sort of thing, too, though. Yeah, Yeah. 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 A lot of total weirdos. Um, Perfect. Really? Yeah. No yeah. kidding. I know the people. I know. You should have seen the tribe. But I love them. If you're all listening, Buddy. Buddy's up in Woonsocket. He lives in his grandmother's trailer. He really does. And Buddy Good. Buddy Thayer, are you listening? <laughs> you did the best job in the Hygieia. We got we to gotta find those tapes. At any rate, there was definitely a lot of activity. Okay. We had named a room for Uncle L because it was supposed to be the room that he stayed in. And when I was telling Blake Phelan, who's a cousin of Champ's, who was the one that sort of pushed us into making a bit of the Hygieia, I saw Blake on the beach about two days after I met with the Paranormal Society, and I told him a couple of the things that happened. And you know when you get goosebumps? Oh, yeah. The hair Blake, on your we arms We were on the beach, up. and Blake was like, no, because one of... Um, Rose Champlin, Champ's grandmother, had a certain word. She would say rubbish. And nobody in the family ever told me that. But in one room, they, they, in particular, there's a man when the Paranormal Society was going through, they would say, like, if, if you want to make your presence known, blow a curtain or cough. Yeah, and, do something. And she, she, you hear a woman's voice say, oh, you hear a man's voice say, why don't you open a window? And she says rubbish, and that was that was wow. that was Rose Champ. So Blake, Whoa. that blew him. And then I said, there was total total activity in that room up on the third floor that you guys told me Uncle L stayed in. And Blake said, well, that would make perfect sense. Uncle L was a bachelor; he never married, never had kids. He said that would make total sense. L died in the building. That's probably the room he died in. So L was the bachelor brother of wow. of of Doctor Champlin. One was a senator one was this doctor they they were big deals and l always kept like a suite in his brother's home that's where he basically lived when he wasn't in washington dc going back to so 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 carter champlin is in love with may keneally they're 15 years apart he's sort of from landed aristocracy she's this working girl from providence they're wildly in love even though they're from totally different classes She's not sure she wants to be part of the Champlin family because she thinks they're boring, rich people. And she <laughs> and she's taking care of her mother and her brother in Providence. She's the working girl making the money. He persuades her one summer to come to the island and she goes for a week and she hates them. She doesn't like their church. She doesn't like who they are. And she goes back to Providence and they wrote and she broke up with them. And they wrote to each other all summer because they'd broken up. And there was a series of love letters back and forth between the two, primarily from her to him. And they were bound with a yellow, beautiful yellow ribbon. And Linda St. Dennis had taken that series of letters. Wow. And she gave them back to me. 
Wow. That's really cool. And Champ, it gets even cooler. Champ and I, I mean, we were, were receiving so many things. And when we look back on that period, what, what we did in 11 months, the place was a shell. It not, not only could we rebuild it, it needed to be gutted. There yeah. was no, we, we bought the place. Um, you can find all the numbers, so they're no secret. We, we bought the place, I think, for 285000 And I think the renovation was all said and done, was probably about... 1.3 and a half. Yeah. Um, so it was a shell, but it had really good bones. And again, that's a whole other story, you know, yeah. that okay. um, yeah. because it was a miracle that was waiting to happen. There's no doubt about it. But Champ and I, we were so busy. Our kids, as you know, Millie was like six months old. Oren was a year older than that. So we got these two babies. I've got the two part-time jobs. He's the general contractor. So there was no time to even enjoy these letters. And it wasn't until the renovation was finished and we could breathe a little bit. We would every, not every night, sounds a little too romantic, but whenever we could actually sit down to a meal together, we would read one of, I would read him one of her letters. And we discovered the most amazing things. But first of all, um, this was a cool one. And one of the things He's winning her over, you know, and every night, this is so romantic, um, every night at the same time, they would both go out and look at the moon. She was in Providence Aww. and he was on Block Island. They would look at the moon. And in one of her letters, she's, she wants to have them look at the moon for, at a different time because she knows he has a real social life and she doesn't want to interfere with it. That was nice. So of her. she wants wow. to, I know she was she, like, she knew she, she had some juju. The Champlin family, the pains, all of them, they, they say she was crazy, but she's got my spirit, that's, you know, that's the pot calling so, the kettle black. So, uh, yeah, I mean, so, um, uh, so, so listen, so she, who's to we judge? discover, yes, really, we discover that there's a 15 year age difference between them. Which he's fifteen years older, which is Champ and my uh, fifteen. That's our age difference. Then we dis we discover because the letters were written almost daily over the course of a summer. She's thanking him for the wedding gift. He sent her a ring, and we discovered. I'm like looking at the date on the later letter. She and I had the same birthday. Wow. So that's a pretty cool yeah. one. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. So oh, somehow, I mean, I, I absolutely do. I feel uh, like we got her blessing, yeah. you know, especially since it was the poem. She was supposedly like one of the things that was in the hygia that was left in there, which is incredible. It was her piano and we got it fixed. Um, and so Millie actually learned to play the piano and that piano that is now in Champ's. But, but the, you know, the, like the paint Champ would say, oh, she was as daffy as the day was long. All she did was play that piano. <laughs> so I think I actually have a, a really sad poem called Piano Lesson. It's a heartbreaking poem and it's a good poem, but it's about after our divorce, when the piano got moved out of the hygiene and moved over to Champ's house. Yeah. And it's about having to, hear Millie play that piano, you yeah. know, All instead right. of... All right, shall we move on? you have any questions? Uh, well, Don't you want to even know some of the things I brought? We do. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was my next question. What, what are some of the things you brought? Uh, yeah. My props? <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, the purple shoes, for Christ's sake, and we you're going to take a picture of We covered of those. Okay, so I was feeling so worried this morning that we wouldn't have anything to talk about. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, that we, I thought we Rich needed some inspiration. Really I was so too. nervous. So years nervous. ago, <laughs> Millie gave me this gift for Christmas, and it's turned out to be the most amazing gift. I've used it in all kinds of settings, including um, uh, something that happened to me very recently. Um, 
that involved a group of people and we needed some help. So I had Millie deliver the angel cards. Um, another example is my brother, David Silverberg, who some of your listeners might know. Yeah, they might oh, know him. Gosh, David yeah. was the uh, David original, was the original owner, owner, of, owner of Eli's. Eli's restaurant. And right. Eli, I think I told you, was our first chef. dog. Yep. Right. yep. Yep. And in Rich Trethaway, um, may, have you guys heard of Rich Trethaway? I've heard of him a couple uh, Let me tell you times. something. Yeah, he used to be Rich Trethaway, and now he's one of two guys on Black Island. We're never going to live that All right. So, oh, my God. Did All she right. just bust our balls on our totally. own podcast? Totally. So nice. All right. So these are angel cards. Okay. And I thought we might need some inspiration. There's 72 okay. of them Just for in the our deck. listeners who can't see what's happening, Lisa has a small ceramic pot, and there is something inside of the pot that she is stirring around with her hands. Hand and she has offered somebody. us something out of the pot well, called an angel card. You have to come pick your own. Oh, maybe uh, you can't. because no, t- Can I'll, I get up out of my seat? I can uh, bring them Why don't over? you stay there? And I'll, I'll. can I grab riches, or do we have to pick them out individually? I think you... I think you guys can decide that. Right. If you trust him enough. Do you trust I him? trust him. Okay. Okay. That's I'll come over cool. and pick him up. And I'm going to pick my own too. You want, it's good. It, you got to decide what order to go in. Um, you're first. Okay. I'm second. I'm first. And Mark's third. It's not, you don't have to race. What is this? Your team wins. You already won, Mark. Maybe, oh, I have a picture. Maybe of you me. shouldn't hold it you in too. your groin. <laughs> <laughs> Here, reach right into the pot. You know, I thought about that on the way here. Oh, see, I got support. You'll need support when the radio man interviewing me, you, makes fun of you. What's, what'd Rich get? Okay. Support? Hey, what and what do we have to make up a sentence Wait, using the word? It? No, it's an angel card. So it was just some support for each of us individually and collectively during the oh. interview. So I have support, or I can offer you support. Oh, like I say see. you're feeling there's an awkward pause, just you could hold up your angel card okay. and then I'll give you some support. All Mark, right. I wanted to say you look great today. Oh, thank and you. And Rich, I noticed you've lost weight. <laughs> oh, um, right, thank you. Do you guys need any help with anything? <laughs> <laughs> Not yet, but keep the card handy. Okay. It's a, I hope one of you got, go. Millie said you're going to hate this idea and one of you might get obedience. That's the worst one. What'd you get, Rich? I got patience. <laughs> So that far, might, so good. That so far, in, so good. That might come in handy. With I would me. say that my life and family is a is a great success because of my wife's patience with me. Oh, that's, oh, that's beautiful. beautiful. I'm not the easiest nice. man. That's I'm not beautiful. the easiest man. Yeah. Wow. That's great. That's I, very beautiful. I got uh, authenticity. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one for you. I think so. Because you are authentic. Well, thank so you. So are you, Rich. Yeah, he's you the know. but Mark's the real McCoy, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, they you broke know? the mold apparently, and with you. Yeah, after the, he, that's what my parents always said. They say, "Oh, yeah, they broke the mold after we had you." you re- know? Well, lots of parents. And they, say, oh but, God, actually, I found out that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, well, lots of parents also, think their kids special. Yeah. No, no, but <laughs> yeah, and they name him David Graham. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> No, but honestly, my parents had I me. Mean, they were like, they broke the mold after. And by they, they meant that they actually, my parents broke the mold on oh. purpose. They were like, let's not ever do that again. Oh. <laughs> Maybe I was a little too authentic. No, wow. you're Sometimes. authentic. Yeah, there should no, be I'm a Carvel right. cake like you. You know, I think I could, <laughs> instead of like Fudgy the Whale, yeah, it could be like, fudgy yeah. The whale. It could, well, that's Mark the nice Scortino. thing. <laughs> well, yeah, the cool yeah. thing about Fudgy the Whale was when you flipped it upside down, it became Cookie puss remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same mold, same mold. Just and if you went sideways, down. it was witchy witch. Yeah, it was right? witchy witch. Right, right. <laughs> Carvel. Oh, oh, man. 
<laughs> Authenticity is a great thing. Authenticity is a yeah. good thing. Yeah. I love people, you know, and I can say this honestly about the three people sitting here in this room. Yes. I love people who what you see is what you get. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, I get a little nervous nope. if you're like, pretense no no pretense no bullshit yeah yeah i'm not gonna be somebody different for you and my sister she she goes like um because we look a lot alike i don't know if you've ever met her but we resemble each other so she had a house on block island and people would who didn't know me really well would mistake her for me so one time so she usually wouldn't say anything because it was easier than explaining no i'm allison i'm her sister so um, she would just be like, hi, I'm good. You know, I'm in a rush. And then finally one day she was like, do you just like go up hugging people? Like 40 people tried to hug me today in the grocery store. And I, I said, pretty much. And she goes, that's gross. <laughs> She's like, somebody came up and handed me a giant bag of weed in the grocery store today. <laughs> And was like, hey, here's that thing I owe you. A lot of people now mistake listen, me for Mark. Talk- <laughs> listen, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Aren't you Mark Scortino? Yeah. I'm like, oh, so yeah. close, but nope. I know. No. Now, do either of you guys want a hug? Not yet, but you I will at the hug, end. But you can't have my shoes. I can now, have a Angel hug sneakers. after next Thursday. Okay. I'll have the my second shot. The other thing is, I brought, uh, can I I hug brought your shoes? some ideas that I brought. No, you can't. Um, I brought some ideas for, um, <laughs> oh, I wanted to tell you guys that I was really a little bit, not bluesy, but I was boring this morning. Um, So I was worried that I wouldn't have anything to say. So I did bring the angel cars, but I also went to last year's season to kind of be like, okay, how can I get psyched for the show? And, um, and I knew it wasn't listening to you to say we are two guys on Block Island. <laughs> yeah, we, thanks. Is it well, on Block we, Island? We, we, it's we, on Block yeah, Island. Did you yeah. think a lot about the pre- the? Maybe I would like it better if it had a dis- different preposition. I want to put it on maybe a megaphone on the, repeat and park you, outside your house. Maybe you could um, <laughs> change the preposition every time. Two guys with Block Island. Under two guys Block Island in, above in Block Island. Well, yeah. if you listen to our podcast, you know we discuss that whole thing about we people do. who That's call a whole it. Hey, I'm issue. in Block Island yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Island. They do say. Do you that. say? Do you say online Always. or inline? Online. Well, it depends what you're talking about. People from New Jersey and New York say online. Like Everyone else, like they say, I'm queue. I'm waiting online at the train station. That's New York. It's uh, inline. That would lead me to believe you're on your iPhone sur- surfing the internet. Me internet, too. Yeah. Right. You've right. never heard people say online. I have. Mostly, I hear people. You should correct when, them when they say that. Most people talking to me say you're out of line. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Too. That, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. I get a lot. Yeah. You're line, How about we're two guys out of line on Block Island? <laughs> well, that's uh, I think that's implied mostly. Yeah. In, in, oh, in our, you anonymous. Know, kind All of right, getting back to my notes. Okay. I was listening to your podcast and I happened to hear the interview with John Dom. Oh, God. Now, I just yeah. want to say if that's not inspiring, and I think John Dom needs to become its own vernacular because I've known John for a long, long time, but I didn't know who he was. So I was right. like, oh, who's John Dom? Right. And then I saw his picture and heard the interview, and I'm like, oh, that's his last name. That makes yes. makes perfect sense. Yep. So instead of saying, like, God damn it, you could say John Domit, um, <laughs> you know, or um, or or like like someone so like a really nice car drives by and you just go, John Dom. Yeah. Yeah, ironically yeah. and that he and loves I, cars yeah he and does I, I didn't cars. know that i didn't get that oh, far into the gosh. interview because i was running late but also i think there should be a bumper sticker oh we're working on you that. know that um you know that atlas shrug book uh oh, that atlas yeah yeah it starts with the line who is got john galt 
Yes. And so there's this whole cult of people, those Ayn Rand, those yeah, Ayn Rand weirdos, people. Yeah, I was one yeah. for about a minute because I yeah, thought she was so no. smart. Well, she And I she love was, the, um, but... what's the one about the architect? Howard Work laughed. Oh, that's such a good book. Why can't I remember its name? I'll think of it. Maybe I can kick it off with, you know, my name is Rich Strathway, but call me John Dom. Isn't that how it went in the beginning of Moby Dick? Was it Ishmael? No, yeah. it's call me Ishmael. Yeah. But I said, you didn't say anything like that. You said oh. my name. It's all about you. It is. It is. <laughs> Listen, Lisa, pretty much everything in my life is all about me. If you said call me Rich Trethaway, then it almost sounds like Ishmael, and all people right. would get the literary reference. So, so the hold on. The Fountainhead. The Fountainhead. So hold is on about one Howard second. Mark. Okay, so listen. Wait, no, you wait, listen. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah, <laughs> you be patient. <laughs> um, I'm at the moment here. So, so Atlas Shrugs starts with the line, "Who is John Galt?" And it, Ayn Rand appeals to really intellectual p- people, but it's also really powerfully written stuff. So it's those books you read, like Siddhartha when you're 21 and coming of age. But but people like the cult of Ayn Rand people, there were bumper stickers that said, who is John Galt? Yeah. It would be such a Block Island thing to just be like, who is John Dom? Because so many people don't know his last name. That's He's right. just John. I think he might like it that way. Though. I yeah, think John, I, yeah, but no one would know. Well, John mm. would know. We're not looking to, you know, like out <laughs> any of All our right, well, I more want you guys uh, to introverted ask uh, guests. I, you know, I, I, I like just, you. Well, I just did. All right, so no, I don't want a bumper sticker about me. You, but, uh, but why? <laughs> yeah. Careful what you wish for. <laughs> Listen, I want you to ask him what he thinks about that. Because I'm just saying he might okay. go for it. Why don't you right, ask well, him? Yeah, why don't you ask uh, Next time I see him, I will, you but should. you'll see him first. I think it could be a real moneymaker this summer. I think, also, hold on. You know what? Sp- Lisa, speaking of moneymakers, I, I know you're going to be excited to hear this, but uh, we, we've actually got some sponsors this season. So well, we're going to take a little break okay. and check in with our sponsors. Okay. Then can I tell you just one more thing about John Dom and the food truck? As soon as yes. we get back. As soon as we get back. <laughs> Whether you're experienced or a beginner, fishing on Block Island is one of the greatest experiences you can have. Our friends at BI Fishworks are there to make sure it's great. Block Island Fishworks offers charter trips for whatever you're after. Striped bass, bluefish, fluke, sea bass, bonita, you name it and they know how to catch it. If you're into light tackle fishing and fly fishing, Captain Chris does morning charters for up to three people. If your group's a little larger, climb aboard the Harley with Captain Hank and the Harley does half and full day trips for up to six people. If boats are not your thing, then there are plenty of great spots to fish from shore. Block Island Fishworks has everything you need. They have a great selection of equipment, tackle, and plenty of tips and pointers on when and where to go and what the fish are biting. The shop, located at 40 Ocean Avenue, is open daily in season. While you're there, check out the great shirts, hats, hoodies, and a bunch of other great stuff. To book a charter, get info on the shop, check out their merch, and all things fishing, visit their website at bifishworks.com. You know, Mark, I love fishing with those guys. You ever been out with them? Oh, my God. A number of times, actually. And you know what? Every single time... We've caught fish. It's worth the trip just to spend a half a day with Hank. Hank is a force of nature, as we know. Yeah, he's great. And you know what? A lot of times your fishing trip can include a buzz by or even a quick tour of the of the wind farm, which is pretty awesome. And you know what? The the, the greatest thing about Fishworks is that they have everything you need. Every, everything. Here's a great activity you don't want to miss out on on your next visit to Block Island. Exploring the Great Salt Pond in a kayak from Fort Island Kayaks. The Great Salt Pond is one of Block Island's true gems, and I would say one of the most beautiful harbors in all of New England. Now, I know I said kayak, but Fort Island Kayaks has stand-up paddle boards, Hobie pedal boards, as well as kayaks in all different sizes. I'm pretty sure they've even added the triple-seater and a peekaboo glass-bottom kayak. 
You can rent by the hour, half day, full day, or even an entire week. Explore the hidden coves of the pristine inner ponds. Find your own little spot to take a dip or soak up some sun. There's spectacular scenery around every bend, and you'll get some of the best views of the island that you can't really see any other way. So whether you're flying solo or with the whole family, make sure this is one on your to-do list. Oh yeah, here's a tip. If you're in a group of six or more, you definitely want to make a reservation in advance. Fort Island Kayaks is operated by our good friends at Block Island Fishworks and is located right next door. For rates, availability, and reservations, visit their website at bifishworks.com or just give them a call at 401-466-5392. So Mark, I wonder if that glass bottom kayak, you could find maybe Captain Kidd's treasure or something. Ooh, that's exciting, right? You could uh, turn your afternoon into a treasure hunt. Yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah. Those pedal boards look really cool, too. A bicycle on the water. What will they think of next? Ugh, modern science. The Darius Inn is truly a slice of heaven. Sisters Christy and Becca Zen have brought this historic 1800s building into its newest life as the Darius Inn. Their eye for design is only second to their warm and friendly roles as hosts. The clean and tastefully decorated accommodations at the Darius Inn have something to offer for every lifestyle. You can step out your door onto your own street-level deck and people watch for hours, or maybe you prefer to be away from the action in one of the tranquil hiding spots on the property. You simply can't beat the location. Ferries, shops, restaurants, and beaches are literally just steps away. And oh yeah, the breakfast is the bomb, fresh and delicious every morning. You can hear the story of the Zen Sisters and the Darius in Season 1, Episode 12 of Two Guys of Block Island when they graced us with their presence as guests on our podcast. To check out great picks, view info on booking a stay, and all that the Darius has to offer, check out the Darius Inn at DariusBlockIsland.com. Rich, you know what I love about the Darius is that it has its own sense of style. Oh yeah, it's it's groovy. It's groovy, and it's not just sailboats and lighthouses at the Darius. No, and you know, I'm a little bit of a foodie, and I love that they put their heart and soul into the breakfast. It's all fresh, homemade stuff. You know, it's just great. You can taste the love. You can. But remember, you got to be a guest to have yeah, the breakfast. Yeah, found that out the hard way. Your Block Island visit absolutely must include a stop at the Beachhead, one of the island's most popular restaurants. The Beachhead is located on Corneck Road and features beachside outdoor dining with a beautiful view of the ocean and Crescent Beach. Nothing beats feasting on the Beachhead's seafood choices, featuring fresh, locally caught fish in one of the island's best lobster rolls, served hot or cold. Your choice, but why not just have one of each? If you're looking to get down with some bivalves, you have to hit up the Beachhead's Buck-A-Shuck Hour every Monday through Friday from 3 to 4 p.m. where you can slurp down fresh oysters for $1 each. And don't forget to order one of the Beachhead's hand-blended mudslides or a signature Bloody Mary, or choose from a large selection of tasty summertime drinks. Are you visiting the island with a larger group of friends and family? No problem. The Beachhead can comfortably accommodate everyone with lots of space, and they even have a special events area that can be reserved for weddings, rehearsal dinners, anniversary parties, or any occasion you can think of. So don't miss one of Block Island's favorite hangouts, the Beachhead, located directly across from the beach on Corneck Road. For more information or to view the Beachhead's menu, please visit beachheadbi.com. You know, Mark, I, you, you just cannot beat the view from the beachhead. I mean, you talk about gorgeous. It's unbelievable. And you know what's cool is that even if it's raining, you can go in and sit at the bar and you still get that same great view. Oh, I love having sponsors. And uh, give them a check out, please. So, all right. So we're here with Lisa. We just cut her off to listen to some sponsorship spots. All right. What were you going to say, Lisa? Go you ahead. had one oh, more thing about John I was going to say, Don. it's yeah. hard to name. You know, I've had many careers. 
But I think the thing that I've been best at of all my jobs, besides being the drunk innkeeper, um, I think I was the very best. I think I was born to work in Cindy Kelly's food truck. Oh, Because wow. I w- just became Pots the greatest, happiest person in the world working in the window at the food truck. And it might have just been timing because I'd moved off the island and I got to come back and only see people for three seconds at a time. So yeah. that was good. Um, but... Is does Diane still live on Block Island? Diane, the wonderful woman who's been a care, she was like a caretaker for Meryl Slate. Huh? I'm not. I haven't sure. seen her lately. You know who I but mean? I, yeah, I love her. I want to talk about love Diane in her. a second. You, you talk about someone who, no matter what, pouring rain, sleeting, walking to the grocery store, the big smile and the big right. just the happiest, the happiest, the happiest person. kindest person, unbelievable. And that's how she's described. You know, great Diane. You know Diane, who's always happy. I remember once sitting on the dock that I talked to you guys about on, I think on the last podcast, my place for writing down on this dock behind our house. Um, I could hear her from the dock all the time because she was like walking from Peckham's into town. And I remember she used to just clap for people riding their bike up that hill. She just yeah. stopped. She always had a lot of bags. She'd stop on the sidewalk and put her bags down and be like, look at you go. Look at you. And I would become Diane working in the food truck. Like I'd be like, that is great bikini. Like, you know, and, and that color looks good on you. you know, I we, loved everybody. We talked about it and i really enjoyed after my restaurant career working the door at captain nick's it yeah. was just a refreshing change it, and you know just totally different and but yet kept me seeing people and talking so hey listen all right i don't mean to weird. i don't mean to steer at, you okay okay but listen i did not pull power <laughs> and it just jumped out of the angel card thing it's well, on the ground. All right, all right this so we're is John, segue. and then we're going to move on. Right. Wait, so John was the greatest <laughs> customer at the food truck because he would he would order what was on the menu, and it would thrill him every day that we had it. He'd be like, "Could yeah. I get the Lena's meatball sandwich?" And I'd say yes, and he'd be like, "All right, <laughs> yeah." <laughs> and he'd have just the right amount. You know, he'd always uh, use the right oh, change. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyway, that's a Zen master. Yeah, yeah that's a no, Zen yeah. master. He's definitely one of the uh, one of the the uh, power spirit animals on Block Island. Oh, that's you an, know what I that's mean. That's awesome. He's, yeah. he's one of those. But look, speaking of power, you are a master at understanding the power that words can have. <laughs> Now, uh, to say that you're a master is an understatement, in my opinion, because you um, were the poet laureate for the entire state of Rhode Island at one point, 2008 to 2013, I believe. Yeah. 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 2007. I did. Okay. And it is important. Yeah. Because that was the year my mom died. Okay. And I got called by the governor's office to tell me I was Poet Laureate on what would have been my mother's 70th birthday. It was April 12th. My mom's been on my mind a lot. It was just her birthday. It was April 12th. And um, my mother, when I was saying before that she spit up at my poetry reading, she did. And and my poetry was really problematic for her her whole life. 
Because, and, why? Because you well, were being honest about things. Yeah, maybe I think lots of people, that, like you yeah. say, do you want to hear a poem? And most people leave the room. I mean, haven't you noticed that? You know what I mean? Like people aren't so good about their feelings. It's you know, of, yeah, huh. I sort of wear mine outside my body. You know. Yeah, that's just don't even ask the question. Just Jill Helterline, this is a great quote about poem. Block Island, and I won't tell you who she said it about because it could be said about all of us. But you know how the island can get really, really small, and you're like, oh, yeah. fuck, I gotta yeah. go. Yep. And it's foggy, and there's a Northeaster, so you're stuck for like four days, and you're stuck with everybody who's feeling the same way. Yep. I was away one time, and it was in the middle of one of those periods. And Jill had just come from, I'm not even going to tell you where, because that will narrow it down to four people who worked there. But she was like, I just went because I had to do such and such. You know that person who works there? And I was like, yeah. And she goes, doesn't it just seem like all their organs are outside of their body? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. And I was like, well, that that could be anybody. But it's a particularly Block Island thing. You know what I mean? Explain that. like you just kind of walk up to some people and you're like, so how's the spleen today? You know? <laughs> now, wait, do you mean because they wear it all on the outside? They're like, or, yeah, we, we're talking about feelings and not expressing it. So you ta- are you talking about people who overly express their feelings too much and it's all the time they're outside? Is that what you yeah, mean? Yeah, by- I basically I'm talking about the other extreme. No, yeah, but, okay, but okay, feelings okay. are tough for people. Right. Most oh, people yeah, do, yeah. do keep them tucked away. And like I remember even my friend John Campbell, who's a great uh, yes. minstrel yep. songwriter. Yep. He's tr- one of my favorite songwriters. And John writes some beautiful stuff. I remember giving like what was a really good, you know, reading. And I had he and Jim McGrath there, yep. one of the other old great the, crooners. The reprobates. And, uh, you know, my poetry readings, I think like my poetry, one of the things that I think is of real value to it is how it dances between the comical and the very serious, the very funny and the very tragic at the same time, because I think that's how life kind of dances around with us. Tom Robbins says in one of his books that life is sort of like a baby gorilla. You know, sometimes it just doesn't realize that it's playing with us a little too rough. Yeah. And so the the poems can do that. But I remember a poem in particular where some of the grief came up and it's always about the audience. You know, I do have a lot of poems about my mother's illness and her dying. And my my father's dying when I was young, as I told you, is what catapulted me into really, I wouldn't say taking writing seriously, but needing to write as a way of survival. Uh, Um. So at any rate, like even John was like, that was an amazing reading. And he was like, but Jesus, could you go a little lighter on the grief thing next time? <laughs> You're like, that's the whole sure, point. Sure. At least he was I'm honest. like, nah, I love it when they cry. It's killer. Yeah. I saw you leave the room. So <laughs> you, you then at some point tell a little bit about the, because there's so much to squeeze in and here we go again and we're coming. Your journey as a poet. Yeah. How did it begin? When did you, as you said, well, so we know you, just, you wrote. I got right. You wrote as a kid. I rem- we went through I, yeah. this last and then, time. But I remember writing as a kid you got, and then writing You got the Hygieia and you got in. And then at some point, I think you started to do poetry retreats there for other poets. Yeah. You, so that was a great, like. Yeah, that was amazing. Yeah, that was, and that uh, was the Block Island Poetry Project. Yeah. What was the first? I think I am. Didn't I? We played you, there. Yeah, you did. Did, did. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. And uh, what year was the first one-ish? Ni- late 90s, right? 98, 99, No, because the kids were, um, I want to say like 2004. Okay. And you gathered- uh, 2000, 2003, maybe? Okay, yeah, it was around that. Mm-hmm. So you would just gather- uh, Poets and musicians from yeah. around the world and people would come in. Yeah. 
And, and it was wildly successful or... and it wasn't, you know, like yeah. I couldn't get Block Island people to come. I mean, when 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 I look back at that, I marvel at it again. Like, what? how did you ever? I remember Jen Lighty, who I mentioned last time, who I think of as my teacher, my great teacher. But Jen would be like, how the hell did you get them to come? You know, and, and um, a lot of luck involved in that, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, I did. I had many of the great poets, many from around the world. Who, um, who were some of the standouts? That you well, Billy Collins, you know, who yeah. was the United States Poet Laureate yep. for, I think, three or four years. And and that, and they were, the, you know, the poetry series, when we did talk about this last time, that anthology is a book that I'm really, really proud of, that I made with yeah. four other amazing Block Island women, Lisa Sprague, who's been on your show, Eileen Miller, uh, Tracy Dillon. Yep. And um, Nancy Greenaway. Um, they yep. were my co-editors for that book. And we sat in the police station and edited poems and read them. And the chief would come in and out. Oh, here's another thing I want to say, And then somebody you guys. posted bail. And then you could yeah. back No, because Mama house. Sprague was a dispatcher. So if we wanted to work with her, we'd go sit around the table. But here's something I want to say. And this is bad. And this is troublemaking, okay? Ooh. Can we bring a little controversy? Sure. Okay, I don't know much about television. Because I don't have one. And, and I don't, like, everyone wants me to watch Seinfeld and The Simpsons. Yeah. And I I haven't. But I do know that the Simpsons are uncanny for sort of predicting the future. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like yes, they predicted that. that yeah. yeah. So when I went back this morning to watch a podcast, listen to a podcast to get excited for the show, I noticed way, way, way back before controversy was even a word <laughs> on the Block Island Horizon, <laughs> your podcasts of Vin Carlone and Andre Boudreau are back to back. Oh. Now I'm not going to say anything else about that. We'll just leave no. It that's there. okay. We already covered it in our season introduction in terms of the uh, you know what you the, might have missed. Happened. Okay, yeah, so, well there yeah. they are. It's so I'm wondering table. if the if the tension between the two might have been that the chief was aired first, chief came first, but then Andre got two. So you see, they it's could both one. have a lot of resentment for the other guy. Well, you know, our 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 big. Uh, you know, solution to the problem was to have them both on at the same time for a bong hit competition. Excellent. <laughs> could I come officiate? Uh, you can be the referee, certainly. Yeah. And yes. I could be the one to do the bong hit before either one so we can, can be sure that neither sure one okay. is trying to poison the exactly. other. Exactly. <laughs> and then yeah. you pack the bong. It's like a duel. You pack the guns, you know, or in this case, the bong being the gun. You know, like how when two people go for a duel, yep. there's one person that, that loads the bullet into the gun and hand, or each gun hands it to. That's what you can do. You can pack the bong. We'll have two. You bongs. can even have okay. the wooden case and, and right. open it like yes. you would with and the you pistol. Get to choose which bong you want, <laughs> okay. so it's no favoritism. And you can hand the bongs to uh, either the chief or Andre, and then uh, officiate. Obviously, this is all cool. Except I don't, I don't know what a bong is. That's all right. Uh, we'll post some pictures on yeah, our okay. social media. Yeah, okay. mm-hmm. yeah, we'll figure that. It's out. not vulgar, is it? No. no. Well, it could no. be, depending. Now, You're not making was, fun of me, are you? Because I'm very... Wait, where's the sensitive no. angel? What was that movie? No, we're <laughs> no, not. No, no, what no. was that movie with Alec Baldwin when his kid finds... I think it was Outside Providence. Yeah, yeah, he finds these. Pr- oh, yeah. that's a horn. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. Uh, why don't you play me a little tune on that yeah. horn? Yeah. Uh, not yeah. right now, Dad. <laughs> so what is the... Po- what is, for our listeners who don't know, what is a poet laureate and how do you become one? 
So in the state of Rhode Island at the time, you know, it's it's uh, state by state, it's different. Uh, most poet laureates have become part of the state legislature. So every state has a different term, a different terms for who can be in, okay. um, who appoints it. It could be an art commission. It could be a governor. In our state in Rhode Island, the Arts Council, the Rhode Island State Council for the Arts, basically there's an application process. They narrow it down to about five poets. And then, the, then in out outside because it's a small pool people are familiar with your work an outside set of poets from outside of the state looks at like a bunch of poems and makes a recommendation to the governor and then the governor picks one usually from two or three choices so, so i've had the good fortune oh never mind i shouldn't say that um well i will i'm never mind um but so the when the year that it, i got appointed it was jen lighty um you could you couldn't appoint yourself that okay. has changed now you can self appoint yourself but there still are criteria cuz there are a lot so, of closet poets so, so now you can apply whereas before yeah, yeah, it was you more can, of any, you had to be anybody nominated, anybody nominated. who thinks they're good enough or the in in the in the le- legislation is different state by state so in rhode island it's very loose it says it says that the unless they've changed it, the Rhode Island Poet Laureate gets $1,000 a year. So obviously I did it for the money. Um, yeah. That was first. <laughs> yeah. yes. I, I figured out that my daughter, like at the age of seven, was making more than me as the Poet Laureate. <laughs> you know, she babysat a, a three-year-old at the <laughs> inn and made like $11 an hour. Yeah. Um, but but um, I was making about three cents a day. Well, I would have to say so, you're not doing it for the money. For no, 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 yeah, no, no, no. So what it's, what it says, what the, what it says is that the poet laureate is appointed by the governor. They get a thousand bucks a year and their job is to be an advocate of poetry around the state of Rhode Island in any way that they see fit. So the guy that I replaced, his name's Tom Chandler. Tom's a bit of a private guy. Um, Tom's, his thing that he did for five years was he did a monthly column in the Providence Journal where he picked a favorite poem, and he also tried to feature Rhode Island poets, but he would dissect it a little bit to try to make poetry accessible for people who always hated it or okay. didn't understand it yeah. or yeah. people who always thought it had to mean something else. So it was really kind of a way of showcasing the state, in particular when it was local poets, um, taking a glimpse at a place maybe you'd never seen, Warden's Pond, you know, whatever. So, so um so that's what Tom did. For me, public outreach was really important. You know, p- poetry has always been a way to reach people. And and in particular, you know, my parents were very important in my life, and I'd lost both of them. And in particular, my mom just a couple months before the appointment. And my mother, she died of a very fast-moving mouth cancer, but she was suffering from dementia before she died. And we had a tough couple years where taking the keys away, wondering if she could live independently, all those things that many of us have to endure with an aging parent. And we were looking at assisted living facilities for her. So we visited, I visited an awful lot. And as much as I think we've come a long way in the way that we care for our elderly it is much more convenient to put them in other places. And so my, my community outreach, my plan, my ambitious plan was to start like a, a pen pal project between the elderly and in students. So that way I could go in and work with a student group and get them all excited about poetry, go work with the elderly, get them writing poems or get them sharing the poems they, they wrote when they were kids and That's start a, cool a pen idea. pal system. That's a great idea. That's it never really got idea. off the ground. We did one, we did a, a couple exchanges between the village at Waterman Lake and a, a school in Warwick, but 
couldn't really find people to keep them moving. And I couldn't, but it, so that my programs really turned into outreach everywhere. So my program really became about giving people voice, um, creating poetry circles in the prison. And that's still the longest standing program that I helped start. Um, we've, we, meaning it's a group called the Ocean State Poets, which is a nonprofit group of poets from Rhode Island that I helped found when I was poet laureate. I think there's about 35 members. Um, our bylaws are, are basically to go into places and give voice. That's kind of our tagline. So so we we work in the prison. We, we started a poetry circle in the largest homeless shelter in Providence. We started poetry circles in... Um, psych wards in Butler, in shelters for wow. battered women, and helped people in particular, this is the very, very serious part of my poetry, um, say those things that most needed to be said, which I think is one of poetry's greatest things, in particular when it comes to grief. Um, I think that I've always found that that can also, I don't want to say it's the barrier, but when you, when you talk about people who are kind of like, you know, stay away from poetry. I think it's because poetry is a way for someone to outwardly show something that they're holding inside. And I think that can make some people nervous or, or they're just not used to it. And it takes a little while, I think. Yeah. And that's why totally, so, many, I think totally. so many people kind of, Oh, I don't, I don't know if I want to hear that. You yeah. know, like you, you were know. saying, those feelings, they can be a really scary thing sometimes. Totally. And I mean, let's talk about, I mean, who probably needs to get those feelings out more than say someone who's sitting in a jail cell with nothing else to exactly. do than, that's than a, think about that's a, dwell that's on, a huge, yeah. dwell huge on part what of they've it. done. Yeah, yeah. Why they're there. And, yeah. And, those things, wow. you know, I was going to write that. I was going to yeah. say this, but there's mm-hmm. a lot of that. And there's a lot of, you know, I found with lots of people, but in particularly with the elderly and yeah. I'm getting there myself. Life races by. Oh my God. You know, no so kidding. the amount of people Oof. in particular in the elderly circles who have said, well, I used to write poems, you know, and then you go get them to, you know, look up. I was, uh, yeah, everywhere. I had a counselor recently, uh, somebody helping me out with some personal things. And she one day in a session was like, I heard, they told me you were a poet you know, can I share a poem with you? I won a prize when I was in 10th grade. And this woman who's helping me figure some major stuff out in my life went to a shoebox in her attic and like the look on her face, like she remembered writing the poem. She remembered the pain that she was in. Her parents were going for a divorce for a 15 year old kid. That's often the worst thing that's happened in your life. And it's a very, very real deal. And I had the experience of having a lot, not in high school, not in Ledger. And those English teachers are still my best friends, Brad Hull and Lou Gabordi. One lives in Preston and one lives in Ledger. Charlie Ewers, I'm giving you guys all a shout out. These guys are amazing men who cultivated it at the time when my father was dying. They gave me that voice. Whereas when I went on to college, one of the reasons I dropped out so many times was it was, was people, a couple of professors, you know, who said, you know, you, if you're going to keep, if you think you're going to make it as a poet, you better stop writing about (sighs) your dogs and your dead dad. And and I'm still writing about my dogs and my dead dad. And that's the most important stuff I could write. I took a creative writing class at UMass. Uh, I was an English major and, uh, the, the guy the the professor, he had his one pet in the class who you could tell was a, was a very talented writer. Yeah. The rest of us were just, you know, as a gut, you know, 200 level course, we had to take something. And this guy just was the worst. I mean, he would shred you. No, and none of us were real 
write quote unquote real writers that we some of us could have been right but it just for me personally yeah. i i you know this when every time i'd read something it was just like you're getting teared down yeah it, it doesn't do it's, much for you especially, especially when you when you put your heart into it yeah. that's the killer thing so that yeah. again that's a huge reason that i that i dropped out yeah. of school yeah, it can't be treated the same as writing an article where the yeah. you know the te- professor says, "Listen, you're not getting the point across. You're right, to be it's very different. Yeah. I mean, it's coming from retro, he, it's it, coming from your heart. You it, know, so who yeah. are they to say what? you And, should I, and should I, I had these guys like Lou Gabordi and Brad Hull, who, when I was writing my way through, whether it was essays or poems, if it was one of those papers, they, these guys were smart enough to not give it a grade. Right, you, something like this shouldn't be graded. You yeah. know, thank exactly. you for sharing it's beyond it with the grade. Me. So when I think of that, I think about this guy breaking me down at UConn. You yeah. know, I'm 20 years old. My mom's depressed and locked in her bedroom, and I'm writing these poems about my dad, and I remembered the afternoon that he died. And and yeah, it was like you're still – you know, th- this is a really specific story. I dropped out of school, as I told you. I went to Block Island University. I went back, and I finished up at UConn. But five years later, I go back. I take a class with the same guy. I've got a new body of work, and I show him something, and it was a poem that I'd written. It's in my first book. I think it's called Time. And um, I'd stayed up all night writing the poem. And in the po- it, it, while I was writing the poem, I remembered the afternoon that my father died because I'd blocked it out as we block out many experiences yeah. that are really painful. Yep. And the memory that came to me, which was such a surprise, was that it was a beautiful moment. It's the moment that I last saw my father. They're wheeling him out of the house. And I had completely blocked it out. And, and the memory of it was so beautiful in a, in a painful sort of way. I was sobbing as I wrote the poem, and I was up all night writing it at Martha Boddington's place that we talked about last time, which is now Gail and Mike Dugan's. I was in the little cottage yep. out back. Something about cottages out back. Yeah, like. Mark, can I build a cottage out back? Uh, please. Okay, good. good. I, I, I think you'll love having me here. I like... make great deviled eggs. Does Katie <laughs> like deviled eggs? Oh, God, that's the one thing. That's my one that, nope. But Can't you do lost it. me. I'm glad I brought it <laughs> you up. Lost me. I was just kidding. You I just hate deviled vic- eggs. I didn't really want to okay, move good. in. You're in. Um, I, I love what them. about s'mores? Okay, listen. <laughs> love s'mores. So um I go back, I have this poem and I'd been up writing it all night, and I had a breakfast job. Must have been working at Ernie's. And I never wore a watch. I still don't wear a watch, but I would know by the light when it was time to get up and go to work. So I'm in it. There's that fine moment. And don't you hate it? When you've been up all night, that fine moment between we're going to be up all night to like, fuck, work. I got to go to work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Shoot. Yes. Four to five. What is that? Troubling. Oh, it's the sun. It yeah. usually <laughs> involves that tower at Beacon Hill, doesn't it? It, it can. Um, so anyway, I, you know, I go back after five years. I feel like I'm wiser. I'm halfway done writing my first book. And the guy says to me, so the, the poem says, you know, it's this poem about remembering the afternoon of my father's death, and I, and I, there's a the rooster crowed. There was some, um, I think, over where maybe Everett Littlefield had roosters. There were chickens that crowed in the morning, and that would be my alarm clock. And I, so that's how I knew I had to end the poem. I had to finish the poem, and it was time for the poem to end, and I had to go to work. I said, "This morning, when the rooster crowed, I longed for him again. Tears of a thirteen-year-old rolling down my cheeks, and the feeling of, you know, and it's a good ending to the poem. It kills everybody." And the guy's like, I, I guess this is a good poem, but I, I mean, you got to get rid of the rooster. There's just too many roosters Ugh. in poetry. And I was like, okay. And he's like, well, why'd you have to throw the rooster in there anyway? And I, I said, well, just because 
that's what happened. You know, the rooster crowed and I had to go <laughs> I didn't to work throw again. It in there. So it was time to end the poem, just like I say in the poem. And he was like, You mean you didn't make that up for like rhetorical purposes? And I I was like, No. I stayed up all night again writing the poem, just like the poem says, and then the rooster crowed, and then I and and then I put the pencil down and he goes, That all happened? And I said, Yeah. <laughs> you know? And he was probably like, Okay, B plus. You know? <laughs> yeah. Wow. In that case, <laughs> I have a poem that's sort of about that. Want to hear a poem? Yes. Yeah, that's well, that was we don't thing. run out of time here. I no, didn't. Uh, I didn't bring it with me, but I think it's memorized. So my poems, okay. you know, a lot of people maybe it's the best compliment or the greatest greatest criticism. They say it's really not different from hearing you speak because a lot of it is just like a moment that happened to me, and I had to kind of turn yeah. around and write yeah. it down. So this one's called CVS, and it happened at the CVS in Wakefield, but it could have happened in any CVS, right? Um, goes, um, CVS. In the vast brightness of this pharmacy, everything seems larger than itself. The pantyhose, no, everything seems like more of itself. The pantyhose, the Halloween masks, most of all, the loneliness of a 13-year-old girl trying to be noticed by her mother. Can I get you this, she asks, though it takes all her nerve. Didn't I get you one, her mother asks, from a place so far away that she hardly notices that the item in question is a notebook. The mother, yeah, but I filled it in like three days, the girl replies. The mother doesn't answer, which apparently means yes, and the girl looks happy, or at least less sad for a moment. Standing in line behind them, I want to ask her, I want anyone to ask her what she wrote to fill all those pages in just three days. So such a serious poetry voice there. I'm sorry for that. Was that was great. Yeah, that's kind of how they happen. Yeah. A, do I have time to do a couple poems? What are we going to sure. do for the rest of it? I don't know. Do you want Is that it. enough poems? That was one poem. Okay. That was one poem. Well, one of them's kind of long, and I want to warn you about it, but but because it is long, but it felt like, it feels like the gist of everything I would want to say in my interview with you, uh, even though it's a We long want poem. you to say whatever you want to say. Yeah. I have and one. We, we have 10 minutes. We have okay. 10 minutes? We have 10 minutes. And we're going to do a lightning round, right? Well, then we have five minutes. I don't have a lightning round. Oh, I made a lightning round for you guys, oh, but God. maybe we oh, won't have God, time for it. Good. That's another All thing right, well, I brought. Well, hold on. Before we have to do a little, uh, th- there's a phenomenal story. So, uh, if it's okay to talk about this, you um, befriended a man named Coleman. Yes. Okay. My bestie. Your bestie. You've met him. Oh, he's been he at my Thanksgiving. Friend, no, New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve. I love Big Rick. I told him <laughs> I was coming to see you today. Can you explain uh, for our listeners who don't know who Coleman right. is? So Coleman Barks is my bestie. Um, he is going to be 84 days on April 23rd, and we're going to go to the Bahamas to celebrate um, because he's doing really well after some a hu- uh, couple big strokes and some medical issues. The guy should be dead, and yeah. instead he's like. The Wandering Mystic. And he's, he's Coleman, Coleman is world yeah. renowned for translating the Middle Eastern poet who wrote in the 12th century, I think, whose name is Jalaluddin Rumi, or known in contemporary phraseology as just Rumi. So Rumi's known all around the world. Like Rumi, like one day on the radio, 
the DJ said Pearl Jam, and Coleman was like, oh, I met those guys. Well, so Coleman knows all sorts of people. Like one time he called me, my kids sort of used to call him Captain Caveman because because he like has, it's like he didn't know what AAA was until we managed to drive his truck off the road in the Blue Ridge Mountains. Oh, geez. And I was like, we're going to call AAA. And he's like, what's AAA? So what, 80 years of driving around in Athens, Georgia, where there's probably... 1,200 AAA tow trucks, and he never noticed them all. Wow. What's AAA? And I explained to him. And I'm like, well, well I have this card. They'll come. <laughs> and he was like, they will not come. We had a $50 bet that they were going to come. He stood by the truck. We were in the mountains in Blue Ridge. And when the AAA truck came, he just stood there and clapped. That was, was big, so big, happy. Big stuff. Now so, yeah. So then he called his sons, who were my age. He's like, Benjamin. Lisa got herself a AAA. You got one? And so his son Benjamin just says, oh, God, Dad, what'd you do? What'd you do with the truck? So now it sounds like you're doing an impersonation of, like, uh, you know, like some... Southern, Southern oh, you, so you can like, Google Coleman Barks if you want. He's on YouTube a lot. He's for, he's born in Chattanooga. He's a combination. You got to get the Southern accent. But in Seoul, my buddy is like the combination. You guys asked me last time, Whitman or Poe. Yeah, he's a combination of Walt Whitman and BB King. Wow. I mean, this guy has yeah, the usual. You know, yeah. so we've met a lot of people. Like Beyonce flirts with him. Hi, Coleman. <laughs> um, that's what she says. You know, and I'm like, don't flirt with. Beyonce. Well, and a lot of yeah. and a lot of the uh, musicians, uh, you know, you love that poetry, love, love lyrics, and they love yeah. him. So he called me one time, and he was like, "Yeah, ever heard of this fella Sting? Apparently, yeah. he's some kind of peacekeeper." So I'm like, "Well, mm. Google that some bitch, Coleman, because that's yeah. what I'll say. I'm going to Google that some bitch." And you had a surprise visit. On yeah, because Rock he because he said he asked me if I heard of Chris Martin because Chris Martin wanted to reach him, and then I From was Coldplay? like, "Yeah," and I didn't know who Chris Martin was. Did you know? I knew their music, but I wasn't like a fan fan. I was a Grateful Dead girl and Bob Dylan and Crosby Stills. And my kids called them Crosby Masham Young. Like that's how young my kids were then when they were. They also called the Mohegan Cafe, Mo Caff and Hay. Mo Caff and Hay. There's a little John, uh, Jim Morrison in there, right? He called himself, right, Mr. Mojo Risen? Yeah, yeah. Mr. Mojo Risen? Yeah. yeah, it's like a, not Mo- an acronym. That was the coolest thing about so, the mocaf and hey. No so offense. Chris Mark. Martin popped out for a visit. So so what happened is Coleman says to me, and if I can't read a poem because of the stupid story. No, Chris, it's okay. Oh, Chris Martin didn't say to me. He writes to Coleman, says he wants to meet him. And I tell this really fast. Coleman blows it off. But I tell my teenage kids because I could say things like, hey, I got to read a poem for Governor Chafee tomorrow on the front steps of the state house. They'd be like, big deal. You know, can you drive me to soccer practice? <laughs> so, um, so be like, hey, I'm being paid $2,000 to write a poem for so-and-so. No big deal. So finally, I was like, hey, guess who wants to meet Coleman? You know, that guy from Coldplay, Chris Martin. And the kids weren't really into him. But Millie must have mentioned it a couple times. So Millie's senior year, this was, this was like Millie's junior year in high school. So date-wise, 2014-13. Her senior year in high school, and it's also Oren's senior year in high school. He's at Moses Brown. She's at the Block Island School. She starts saying to me, you know, have you written to Chris Martin yet? You know, we want concert tickets. And I was like, at any rate, this is a super long story. I got to condense it, but it involves the number 1111 which is a magical number for me. 
I promised Millie for her birthday, which is on November 13th, that I would get Coleman's permission and write to Chris Martin and see if we could meet him. So I was in Indianapolis with Coleman doing a reading. Millie calls and bugs me. It's November 9th. She's like, you got to write to Chris Martin. You promised me my birthday's 11th, 13th. You promised you'd do it for your birthday. I asked Coleman. He gives me permission. I land in Providence. Oren picks me up. We're back at the condo. And I've already written on the airplane this email that I'm going to send to Chris Martin, but I'm only going to send it at 11. 11 because it's November 11th. So Oren and I are talking about school and then I'm like, stop, I've got to send this. And Oren is very straight shooter, as you know. So Oren's like the 1111 stuff. Could you just stop it? You know, (laughs) enough, you know, I am really not your son. And, and, and I'm like, well, we're doing it. And so I basically wrote to Chris and said, you've never heard of me. I'm this lesser poet from Rhode Island, but I am Coleman Barks's best friend. And he told me you want to meet him. He copied me your email. I'm assuming this is your email address. I've got the 16-year-old daughter who's never asked me for anything, which is pretty true. Besides yeah. a lot of rides, Millie is such a generous gal by heart. Ah. It's always about other people Love with her. Mill. So she's bugging me for this gift. And I'm planning to take she and Kylie and Annie Hall to the spa. It's going to cost me like 900 bucks. Instead, all I have to do is write to Chris Martin. So <laughs> I write to him at 11.11. The next morning, I turn my computer on. We're racing to Providence to get Oren to school, and I'm like, holy shit, the guy wrote back. So I was scared to even read the message, and it was like, hi, Lisa, this is Chris Martin. You've made my dream come true. Thank you so much. I never thought I'd hear from Coleman again. Now that we know that's going to happen, this is really about your daughter who made it happen. Do you think it would be okay if I flew to Block Island to surprise her for her birthday? And I was like, is this really you? And I mean, he had to actually call me because I totally thought it was like a Chris Martin imposter that was actually stalking Coleman because lots of people stalk Coleman. We're being stalked right now. Weird. I get and I get stalked by his stalkers because they want to meet him. So I've yeah, gotten us yeah. in some bad situations, you know, like Ugh. we got to just go to Mexico. This person sounds great and they just want to meet you. Yeah. Sure. And at any rate, so that's how I met Chris Martin. And he did helicopter out and he did a concert in my living room for like <laughs> eight teenagers. And Mama Sprague, there were only a couple adults there. Annie was there. Champ was there. Uh, me, Mama Sprague. So Mama's a great friend of Coleman through the poetry thing. So so we, of course, had to fly Coleman in for the event. Chris helicoptered out. And I love that, like, um, Jim, what's his name? Jim, Jim Napoleon. Jim, uh, you know, Dory, Jim Fiore, da, da, oh, Jim yeah, Dory. Yeah. Yep. So uh, Jim is his taxi cab driver. Nobody knew. I had to call Christine Manche because I really wanted Thea and Silas there because of Pete. Right. And they brought their guitars. I don't know if you know that part of the yep. story that, yep. that, that, sure. that Chris played Pete's guitars. But I really didn't want the word out, so I actually had to call Christine Manje that morning. And I love Christine, but she's a pretty straight shooter, too. And then there's me, who's a little bit crazy. And I have to call her to tell her Chris Martin's helicoptering to my house and can her kids come to, like, a surprise party. And I'm like, all right, Christine, um, I know I can be a little loud in the gym and I'm trouble, you know, about school night. But um, listen, um, 
Unless I'm crazy or a pathological liar, Chris Martin's about to helicopter. I can hear the helicopter. Can your kids leave school early to come to my house and have Thea and, and, and Silas grab their guitars? And she was like, whatever you say. So at any rate, he helicoptered out. Cindy Kelly, who taught me about 11-11, pulled the food truck in. She made us lunch, and Chris did this great concert. But I called Mama Sprague, and I said, Mama, come over. I have a surprise guest for lunch. So she's expecting Coleman. She thinks she's so smart. So she walks in, and it's <laughs> it's Ryan and Kylie and Millie at the table, and Coleman and Chris. Chris Martin and Oren and Chris Martin. So she goes, Hey, Coleman, I, holy shit. And then she goes, she goes, I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, you look just like you look on TV. <laughs> so that's how she met Chris Mar- Martin. And Chris oh, is awesome. like, you're, and she's like, I'm mama Sprague. And Chris was in the middle of asking Ryan McGarry about the Freiburg fair. So they were, <laughs> they were first rate. One thing I want to say, if we do want to, if we do run out of time and I do have flash round questions for you, and, I, you know, maybe we don't even need to go there. But if you want another, you know, I wanted to say if it ever came up, if we had time, what it was like leaving and being away. I'm not sure if that even interests you. But for me, it's a 30-year relationship. This is what I felt like I could say that was meaningful. I hit a wall out there where I needed to go. Um, you know, my, my marriage had failed, and, and I joke about it a little bit, but I don't. That's still the one of the hugest griefs of my life is a great love that turned bad for many reasons, many of them my own fault. So you fall in love, you fall in love with the place, meaning that building, meaning the island, and it all turns. And, and it was, I felt trapped in it. I felt tra- um, trapped in a little bit of the mess that I'd made, but also so many things that had been part of my joy had sort of turned Mm -hmm. and the need to leave felt very very strong and I stayed for a few years longer than I wanted to as we all do because well because my kids were growing up there and what an astonishing place to raise children as as you know Rich and and Mark you know enough island kids being a child myself still extraordinary yeah but the young people that have worked for you you've seen them come of age you know as you know Katie and I don't have children and uh, you know when we were running those businesses are those certain employees they became our kids yeah you know? like yeah me. yeah yeah like right? rich yeah and example. people <laughs> who came in with their kids whose kids now work for yes. you all of it yeah. you know the timmy buells yep. and the mac and yeah. all of them so yep. at any rate you know so, i quote the jaws I, I don't know how to quote it word for word but in jaws you know they say it's only an island if you look at it from the sea and sometimes you have to step away to see it again yeah you yeah. know and i yeah. think that's that's really the yeah the case. I, I find myself going from I can't wait to get out of here for a break, and then a week later, I'm like, oh my god, I can't wait yeah. to get back on the island. And, and that's just a, a brief version of it. But I think in the big picture, no matter what, but especially with something like Block Island, where it's a relationship with Block Island, absolutely. You know? and, yeah. and when you and it can't just be, you know, I say, I think except for some of the people who live there, and it just yeah. is a way of life. Yes, it it's it's not just like oh, I live on Block Island. You don't just happen to live there. No. It's a big choice, and it's usually whether or not people think they have a soul they do the ones who don't think they do i'm not much interested in but it's a it's something that calls you alive so to lose that feeling of being alive there it hurt to be there and to not be wildly in love with the place 
Or like in one of my poems, you know, I, I say the birds call out to me, but I can't see them. Um, you know, when you stop seeing it, you stop yeah. seeing the sunrise and the shooting stars. And that's and then it's like nailing, putting nails in your own coffin because you're there and you can't see it. So, so this, we got to nail the coffin on this okay. episode. Right, so, so, so you want to do a poem? Yeah. And it is a longer one. And I rarely rhyme in my poems because I, I don't think life is a rhyming couplet. It just doesn't happen that way. It's not neat and tidy. And, you know, and, and so my poems generally echo, I think, what it is that I'm writing about, whether it's a conversation with my kids or a kid in the CBS. But I knew I wanted to write this poem about leaving Block Island. In fact, I had to before I could leave. And without really planning to, the poem came to me in rhyming couplets. And it's based on a poem by one of my favorite poets called E.E. Cummings. You might have seen this poem in the newspaper, but E.E. Cummings has a poem about four little girls. It's called Molly and Millie and Maggie and May. Molly and Millie and Maggie and May went down to the beach to play one day. And like many of E.E. Cummings' poems, here's the poetry lesson. The poems are much more serious than they seem. They seem delightful and spontaneous, which they are. But there's layers of meaning in the phrases that are sometimes put together. So like one of the, one of the phrases he says, and May discovered a smooth round stone as small as a world and as large as alone. That's a big couplet, small as a world and as large as alone. So she's obviously the little sad girl. You know, one just discovers something happy. And the poem ends with the lines, whoever, whoever you are, a you or a me, it's always ourselves that we find at the sea. So I think anybody who has decided to make a life for themselves or it's their favorite vacation place that they go to with their kids and their grandkids, there's a relationship with Block Island. And you can see it on the boat in particular, those people who have waited all year for that sound of the boat taking off and they're feeding the gulls on the top of it. So this poem came to me as a rhyme. And I, you know, I realized after the fact, and when I read it at my first poetry reading and actually got a little choked up reading it, that um, I needed the rhyme scheme to carry me. I don't know if I have glasses. I don't actually. Oh, I think they. Okay. Right on the other side oh, of the table. They're jumping around like the power card. Yeah. Anyway, that one where says are they, Rich? Right on the other side of the little round table. Okay, yeah, yeah. There you go. Everything's jumping. If that was a power card, it would say vision. Well, my brother got vision. Yeah. It's in here and it's signed because David lost his vision as just after his stroke. Yeah. And I would make him pull angel cards. We I started to say and we got cut I cut I cut myself off. Um Millie got us a box of these cards for my sister's house where my brother healed from his stroke. And I would make him pull one every day and he hated them. And the day he got vision, he said, I'm keeping this one because he he lost full vision. So here's this poem based on um Maggie and Millie and Molly and May, and it helps to have a daughter named Millie. What's it called? It, that's the name of the poem. Oh, I'm sorry. The poem is called Orin and Millie and Brother and Me. And you'll find out who Brother is in a second. Orin and Millie and Brother and Me, we live for a time in a home by the sea that was yellow and stately and noble and fair on a place called Block Island. Have you ever been there? They learned to tell time by the tide, not the hour, and they learned of the ocean, its force and its power. From a place that is holy and light years away, brother borrowed a dog suit and joined us one day. And for eight perfect years, how he loved us like grace, with his fierce, faithful heart and his sweet golden face. We made castles with sand and driftwood and love, while seagulls and ospreys soared gladly above. 
We daydreamed and watched the clouds drift through the sky while sandpipers danced in the surf right nearby. Oren was steady and cautious and mild while Millie was busy and urgent and wild. The girl ran on chaos. The boy, he loved order. He kept his things tidy while she was a hoarder. While she dressed in costumes, he tucked in his shirt. He liked white bread, no crust, while she thrived on dessert. And while they were babies, then toddlers, then teens, the two of them gave me their lovely extremes. And Oren was born with a gift for the sea and could sail a boat solo by the time he was three. Millie's great gift is her generous heart, the depth of it shining so bright from the start. And I discovered a sand dollar tree, which left its small fruit on the tide line for me. Each time that I found one, I made a small wish, then carried it home to the sand dollar dish. Some wishes were simple and some quite profound. In my life, it grew rich with each sand dollar I found. And oh, how we loved this life near water and frolicked me and my dog, son and daughter. But the tides rise and fall, and the world spins too fast, and not even the finest of childhoods can last. You all know the story, you've heard it before, how time races past while we dream by the shore. High school and driving, and the bright jewels of knowledge than the blink of an eye, and they're both off to college. So first brother left, then my girl and my boy, and with them the wellspring of much in my joy. I told them and meant it, the world waits for you, and that's when I realized it waits for me too. Sometimes we must lose things in order to grow, like a house on a hill with its fine yellow glow. Sandcastle, sandpiper, sand dollar, me, I'll miss you forever, yellow house by the sea. So it wasn't easy to leave, and the leaving was hard, and I missed it so much more than I expected to. The hygia in particular comes back to me in dreams, and I'm always watching it from a distance. You know, and Matt O'Hare, I hope you're listening now. I love what Matt's done with the building. I know he's, he saved so much of what Champ and I did and did the uplift that I couldn't afford to do. So I'm eager to go back in. I haven't been able to. Um, it's it was it was it's been too emotional a thing for me to do. When you're ready, you will. And I'm yeah. getting there. And yeah. I told Millie that. And I also said, I I sort of fantasize it back now. I've rounded the bend enough to really dream of having the means um, to maybe rent the place for a winter and get back in there and write that book. You know, the notebooks are just filled. So that's sort of a dream I have for myself. You know, maybe the year I turn sixty. Well, if anyone can make dreams come true, I think it's probably you. Oh, thank you. No, thank you. Once again, thank you for sharing that poem. You're welcome. That was beautiful. Thanks. We're really, we're really going to have to now because I'm going to go have a pretty good cry. In the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, well, um, very sweet. Listen, we are maxed out on time. We're going to have to save your lightning round for us for Lisa episode three. You will come back again <laughs> come next back year. Again, There's right? more than enough uh, to talk about, right? Yeah. Right, I have great. good questions. So. Uh, Thank well, you so much. We just have to do it. So, listeners, thanks for listening. Thank you, Lisa, for being a great guest. And uh, check us out on social media. You can reach out with uh, messages for us. Uh, email us at twoguysonbi at gmail.com. Yeah. Can I say one more thing? If you don't like the show, don't say anything online because I'm really sensitive and I'll cry. Bye. <laughs>
<laughs> I think you heard it right there. That's it. So don't say anything mean. Don't make <laughs> us cry. Um, if you want to make us cry, uh, just uh, write us a nice poem and email it to us at uh, twoguysonblockisland@gmail.com. Follow us on all of our social media channels and make sure you subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to them. That's it. Peace out. Peace. What shall we do with the sailor? What shall we do with the sailor? What shall we do with